Welcome to the Newberry Report, the one and only podcast where we get together to discuss a book that won the Newberry Medal. Today, the 1973 winner, Julie of the Wolves by Jean Craighead George. Alone and lost on the north slope of Alaska. How are we? Miax? How do you want to say her name? Uh, Myax. Myax? Or Myax. Yeah, I looked it up. Myax rebels against a home situation she finds intolerable. She runs away toward San Francisco, toward her pen pal who calls her Julie. But soon Myax is lost in the Alaskan wilderness, without food, without even a compass. Slowly, she's accepted by a pack of Arctic wolves, and she comes to love them as if they were her brothers. With their help, and drawing on her father's training, she struggles day by day to survive. In the process, she is forced to rethink her past and to define for herself the tradition of Eskimo life, intelligence, fearlessness, and love. Well, that's nice. That's beautiful. That's one of the nicer back-of-the-book descriptions I feel like I've ever read. I have a different description than <laughs> oh, yours. Well, let's get let's get it down. Should we? Okay. Lost on the Tundra. To her small Eskimo village, she is known as Mayak's. To her friend in San Francisco, she is Julie. When the village is no longer safe for her, my ex runs away, but she soon finds herself lost in the Alaskan wilderness without food, without even a compass to guide her. Slowly, she is accepted by a pack of Arctic wolves, and she grows to love them as though they were family. With their help and drawing on her father's teachings, my ex struggles day by day to survive. But the time comes when she must leave the wilderness and choose between the old ways and the new. Which will she choose? For she is Myax of the Eskimos, but Julie of the Wolves. Who uh, who published that book? Uh, Harper Collins. Oh, okay, because it's like like it's very a similar. Paraphrasing. Yeah, <laughs> so, like they were like, oh, no one's gonna check it. Well, I like that struggles day by day to survive line. We'll just throw it in both of them. Yeah, well, it's the year of Godspell, right? Mm. <laughs> day by day. Day by day. <laughs> uh, let's just start off super cash. Did you like it, Carolyn? I did. Oh, me too. I did. I didn't love it, mm-hmm. but I liked it a lot. Yeah. What did you like the most about it, you think? Oh, just wolves are great, man. <laughs> Cannot argue. I mean, you know, any any novel where main characters are animals, and not not just not just any animals, That's but right, smart, intelligent, pack, you know, mindful, family oriented animals. I just it warms my heart. Uh, even even lost in the Arctic wilderness. <laughs> um, I just thought it was a really beautiful story about sort of a, a girl that. Um, is is kind of reverting to the tradition of her ancestors, which is not a story you hear very often. Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing, that that was the thing that appealed the most to me, was I was like, first thing, boom, we're lost in the middle of the Arctic wilderness. And I was like, what? Like, the first line I thought was so nice. Uh, Myax pushed back the hood of her sealskin parka and looked at the Arctic sun. And I was like, boom, we are in a place that I have never been. I am stoked. I am ready for this ride. Like, take me through Alaska. I'm not a huge, like, Jack London fan, you know, but I read Call of the Wild like everybody else. Um, So I was like, 
cool i'm in it let's go tell me because it's almost like a foreign country i mean they keep talking about it in the book as called they call it the top of the world you know at the top of the world and it's like yeah that is what i feel like it is you're even though it's a a sphere and like oh what's top mean but like no you're straight up at the high the the top (laughs) you're at the top of the world like that's so cool and that's what i always think of that in antarctica antarctica being of course the bottom of the world i always think of like these awesome extremes and they are it's sort of the extreme of what's possible for Mm -hmm for life not just humanity but anyway so we have that great first line and i'm like sweet i'm in it and it's not until like the next page where we find out my ex was lost she had been without she had been lost without food for many sleeps on the north slope of alaska and i was like what i think we buried the lead a little bit there i mean i i like the way it unfolds so they did a good job but i was like what Sorry, that sounded stupid. No. Of course Jean George did a great job. She won a Newberry Award. But I mean, like, I thought that was such a cool and engrossing way of introducing the, setting it up, um, and then introducing this detail of, oh yeah, she's been lost. And then not till part two do we get the attempted rape story, which I was like, wow, this book I thought was really impressive. It's and, very layered. Yeah. It was, yeah. And the the way information came out, I didn't feel... Sometimes you feel like when stories aren't told literally, that they are being told to manipulate you in that way. And of course they are, right? Like, that's why authors are writing things, to make you feel a certain way. Like, we get it. But this felt more organic to her. This book was so organic. Like, <laughs> buy this at a co-op. Like, that's how organic this book was. Um, that... She, it felt like the order in which Julie or my ex herself was like processing all of these things. Like she left impulsively and didn't deal with and come to terms with why she left until halfway through her journey, until she had sort of nothing else to think about. Yeah. Like once the food problem had been resolved now, yeah, once she had sustained herself, it was like, okay, why am I here? (laughs) It felt like, you know, well, uh, if I can go back even further than the first line of the book, <laughs> to what? Uh, I'm curious if your edition has this. I don't. I don't know what it is. What, what is this called? Is this a prologue? It's just on the very, very first page oh, of my I don't novel. Have that. Oh no! Yeah. Oh well, then I don't have to talk about it. What is it? But on the very okay. So on the very first page of my uh, edition, there's an excerpt from the book, oh, sure. which I usually don't like those. Yeah. I think I'm like, why would you suddenly I, I'm the type of person if I can help it, I like to know absolutely nothing before I read a book. Yeah, obviously, I read pop culture books and things sneak through, uh, sneak through. But, you know, if I can pick up something and, and know nothing about it going in, I think it enriches the experience. So these sort of like excerpts just like to give you a hint what's coming forward. A little teaser. Uh, I don't always appreciate. And I read this one and, and this is literally like on the page behind the cover and it starts, the hairs on her neck rose and her eyes widened. Amarok's ears went forward aggressively and she remembered that wide eyes meant fear to him. And it goes on to talk about like her experience with the wolf. And I was like, ugh, spoiler alert. Gosh, all right, you guys. And that actual passage comes out on page 10 or something like that. And it is. It just, they, she pushes you right into it. And I like it. It's sort of, um, Carrie and I have done improv comedy before. And there's like an idea of if the, the best way to keep. Yes. And <laughs> the best way to 
grab people's attention is to start in the middle of a scene. You know, you don't have to necessarily have this lead up of explaining exactly where we are and what's going on. Like we start in the middle Mm -hmm. and that's exactly where we are literally because we then have like flashbacks. But I I loved it as a as a narrative way to tell the story. I I tend to be hot and cold, but I think this she pulled it off this time, even though I was very cold reading it. I was very into it. It's just because it was in the Arctic. That's the only reason it was cold. <laughs> and it's not like um, Into the Wild. There was that boy that uh, ended up dying in the, Into the Wild. Yes. Into the Wild. And it didn't, right off the bat, it didn't feel like that because she was trying to escape something we sort of got pretty quickly. And I was like, whoa, she's a child bride and she's escaping her life and now is lost like whoa like it was just so it was immediately a survival story in a way I wasn't expecting it seems like an it was a topic I'd never read in a children's book before yeah and and at the same time like I hear what you're saying about it being a survival story and obviously it is but there's it's never like a scary survival story it's treated very mildly it's just you know it starts off and she's like yeah I'm lost but like I'll figure it out (laughs) yeah she's so confident she has this confidence about her that's really impressive considering her circumstance but then you realize that I'm reading it from my born and raised in Virginia you know yeah yeah me too and I think I think the author anticipated that I mean she must have because so much of the descriptions are so biological for lack of a better word yeah like, um, I know you love animals. Um, I don't particularly love animals, but I also don't eat them. And so some of this book was like kind of hard for me. And I know that's like such a privileged place to come from of like, oh, I don't eat animals. But like, I, I do have great respect for people that that if you have to kill it to eat it, it's sort of like my MO, like, and I can't, like, can't bring myself to do it. Um, and so won't do it. Um, and so... The whole, that section where um, she talks about she dragging the skin and scraping and cleaning the skin uh, was something she knew about for that was a woman's job and cut the belly open and lift out the warm liver and the, the liver is candy and I was just like oh boy <laughs> like this is a lot I find it interesting that you're talking about that sort of like the idea of being able to to eat uh, to kill and eat what you must to survive like yeah. is obviously a, a, a big thing for many people especially people that live outside of a system where they can go to a grocery store and buy fresh anything um but there's still a distinction in the book you know like she doesn't eat her bird when he dies and Mm -hmm. she doesn't eat uh um amarok right yeah she doesn't doesn't eat amarok who is a healthy uh, hypothetically you know wealth of of meat because that she has these sort of feelings and attachment to it and like it's i don't know i don't really have a point i just think it's really (laughs) I just think it's right that even at this point, there's a distinction to be made. Right. There's always a distinction. There's always going to be someone who looks at people like us who don't eat meat and says like, oh, well, you vegetarians, like if you needed to, you would or whatever. And I was like, but there's always just always a distinction. Everyone draws their line at a different spot. Yeah. And I draw my line where I'm not going to eat it at all. Other people draw it where they're only going to eat it if it's humane and other people draw it. But even the woman who literally like that is her life's blood and that is everything she must do to survive still has her own line albeit like much further down yeah. than the rest of us and I just thought it was really I just thought it was really nice how they d- sort of dealt with that have you seen that um Neil deGrasse Tyson updating of the the Carl Sagan like 
Earth or World miniseries, like the universe. Oh, the or... universe. Uh, no, I have not. Well, the one of the topics they talk about is the evolution um, of the relationship between man and, and wolves that eventually became dogs. And it was so funny because this book seemed to like completely encapsulate the evolution of that relationship over the course of nine months or whatever like um that was another thing was the way that time passes like she was in it she was in it for the long haul the first date we get is um is a couple days before she runs away i think is that january date when the first day of the sunrise after the month of darkness Mm -hmm. and then the next thing we know it's like november and she's pretty close It's like, what? 11 months. 11 months she's just been out here. At least, like, the author does make reference to this. You know, there are, there are a lot of passages that do at least say, you know, Julie has figured out how, like, to hunt and how to cook and how to do all of these things. And, and at least it's not just like, mm, you know, suspend your disbelief for a while and just imagine she could be out here for 11 months. Like, you believe, at least I believed, every minute of the way that all of this was possible. It was it was dealt with very truthfully, even though it's a truth that's so foreign to yeah. my truth. <laughs> well, even forget the fact that it's cold, which is, like, absurd. I'm how cold, cold now. And it's, like, it's 65 in my apartment <laughs> right now, easily. <laughs> But like that there's no, there is sun the whole time for the first like half of the book or the first part. The book's broken down into three parts. Oh, I thought that was interesting too, um, uh, which we'll come back to in just a second, is the the way the book is broken up. There are Mm -hmm. no chapters, just parts. But um, the whole first part is sunlight. It's sunlight the whole time. She's the most lost when it's the lightest out and the most confident when it's the darkest. And that alone was like mind-boggling right (laughs) like when the weather's the worst when she's got all of the snow and everything's frozen and it's totally dark all the time and the days are getting shorter she's like i got this on lock like i know where the planes are and then like gets derailed of course at the very end when she finds out her father is still alive what but um I mean, we should definitely talk about the ending yeah, at let's, some point. Let's talk about it first, because really? it is on everybody's minds. Oh, my gosh. You say it. The ending. <laughs> so, uh, Julie, at one point, runs into um, a man and his wife. Uh, or they run into her. Oh, good point. Uh, they run into her as a man and his right wife. Right after she has built an, an igloo. igloo. <laughs> Like it's nothing. Just like, I'm cold and it's Tuesday. I better build an igloo. And they don't even say the word. They just talk about ice bricks. Like she's building the bricks from the snow. And I'm like, it's happening. The igloo (laughs) is is happening. And then I'm like, am I culturally insensitive for like wanting this igloo for so long? A little bit. I think so. A little bit. Um, So these people run into her igloo uh, and they start talking about, you know, they're Eskimo. She's Eskimo. They're sort of catching up. It's the first people she has seen since she ran away which is nuts um i I know where you're going but i want to stop you for a second because what i thought was the most interesting and i didn't realize in this moment and only realized later is that she doesn't she doesn't understand english anymore like she's sort of lost it so Mm. i thought she just preferred the eskimo but it becomes pretty clear pretty quickly that oh she doesn't understand the english anymore like she's totally lost that part of her Mm. Which was, I didn't feel the loss. She didn't feel the loss, so I didn't feel it until um, later, which we'll talk about in a second. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, sorry. Um, 
so she runs into these people and they start talking. Turns out that they uh, have associations with this this man in town, and it's like a bombshell that drops. They suddenly say his name, and it's Capu Capujen Ka- Capujen. I'm gonna say Capujen. Great. Her father, who was presumed dead, missing in a canoe accident. Kayak, yes. Kayak accident. Uh, And they just drop her name, which of course is a unique enough name that she's like, that's got to be my dad you're talking about. Uh, But she she, doesn't tell them. No. She just sort of like Internalizes it and says, okay, let's put a pin in that. I'm going to go find my dad here in a hot minute after I feed these people. So she ends up going into town, and that's where she finds... Deduces which house is his by process of elimination. Knocks on the door, goes up, does not immediately announce herself. Instead, just says, like, hello, sir, I'm here. And it's I have not, something. I have a gift for you. I have a gift for you. And it's not until she uses... What's the word? Oh, it's like something golden. A golden plover, the spirit of the birds... Uh, that her father, obviously understanding that that's just not a regular Eskimo phrase, that he, it obviously came from him, goes, who are you? And only then does she refer to herself in her 25 names that she has, by the way, Julie Edwards, Mayax, Kapujan. Uh, and they embrace and they have this lovely little moment that lasts about 10 seconds. And then she finds out that her father has started hunting via planes which is something that we kind of got a feel for earlier in the book when uh, her lovely wolf, what's his name? Amarok the wolf was killed by this sort of poacher passing plane. Uh, And she goes off on this whole diatribe about how terrible of a way this is to hunt and how, you know, they're not even using the animal. They don't have need for it other than just to poach it to kill it because, Mm -hmm. because just for the reason of death. And she finds out her father is one of these people, freaks out and leaves. Decides she's going to go live back in the tundra indefinitely forever as an Eskimo woman by herself. I mean, someone coming back from the dead, someone upon whom she has based her entire set of morality and way of life, finding out that he's still alive, finding out that he was making every effort as readily as possible to come get her and that he had done so in what felt like an appropriate amount of time. And then for her to walk out the door. Immediately. Yeah. It's not even like, dear father, you and I don't see eye to eye. I'm going to come and visit with you for like a week. Yeah. We're going to catch up. It's going to be great. And then I'm going to make the decision to go out. She leaves like an hour after she gets there. I don't even think even. I think. think, I don't know. (laughs) I've forgotten. To me, it's like one page, you know. Yeah, it is one page. The woman comes in and says, I'm going to teach you English. It's hard to live in this town if you don't know English. And uh, he gets some phone call of presumed urgency because he walks out immediately. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. I'm rereading it as we're talking. And she's literally there for the time it takes you to read these pages. Yeah. Because she looks around. They say hi. He tells her about the airplane. And then a phone call comes. He goes over to answer it. And she's processing what he just said and then she just leaves ellen fix her some food he calls as he put on his coat he has to go out and then she picks up her bird she puts on her parka and she and she just walks away it's crazy she said he's already dead to me wait oh, let me find the line yeah capujan after all was dead to her yeah and then her bird dies which you know 
I didn't think that the bird had that much sway on her decision making. You know, it wasn't like this is my one friend. This is not uh, like Capu dying or or Amarok dying, which are which are family members to her. It's just it's like her little pet that she walks around with, her little bird that she keeps. And he passes away, and she immediately decides that she was being crazy, I guess, and goes back to her father. I know. She buries the bird and comes back. The very last two lines of the book are, the hour of the wolf and the Eskimo is over. Julie pointed her boots towards Capuchin. So I don't know if she, like, came to her senses or was, like, I don't know. Do you think it's just, like, a processing time thing? Like, maybe she had no intent to really leave. She just needed to go. I mean, but it sounds like she did, because she talks about, I'm going to live in an igloo in the winter, and I'm going to... Where? Let me find the exact... Let me not paraphrase. Yeah, I mean, she said she, she found her tent and pack, threw them into her sled, and bending forward, hauled on it. She walked on the river toward her house, the one the igloo <laughs> she had built. Um, she walks towards her house. She was an Eskimo, and as an Eskimo, she must live. The hour of the lemming was upon the land, cycling slowly towards the hour of Mayaks. She would build snow houses in winter, a sod house in summer. She would carve and sew and trap, and someday there would be a boy like herself that would raise... They would raise children, would live with the rhythm of the beasts in the land. Like, she's done. She is committed to, like, going back and, like, probably meeting a dude along the way, I guess. But I guess people travel by. She met that couple yeah. on their way to hunting. But it does say that she many hours later, she buried him in the snow, the bird. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe she came to some... Maybe she realized after those few hours, like, no, I really should go back. Yeah. <laughs> I like it, though. I think as a literary device, I I like that we're not just... I like that it's not fully laid out. You know, she sees her father, she goes, we have that that little bit, you know, three hours past, she sings a song and she walks back, you know? And that's really all that we're left with. And I think it was such a powerful way to end the novel, not only because of the decision that was made, but knowing that the exact opposite decision had been made the page before. Yeah. It, it leaves you with this sort of like uncertainty, like, okay, she's walking towards him now, but like it could be five minutes later, she's going to change her mind again. Like there's no sort of guarantee for like the happily ever after, the future, like the nice little ribbon at the end of the book that I that I think a lot of especially young adult novels tend to like tie it all together. Uh, and I liked this better. Yeah. We're going to pause here for just a second for some announcements. We'll be right back. Hello, listeners. Are you a business owner? Your next customer might be listening right now, just like you are. You can let them know who you are by sponsoring this show. Just email us at hello at citizenracecar.com. That's H-E-L-L-O at citizenracecar.com. This episode of the Newberry Report is sponsored by Payfully. Renting your home or spare room can be a great way to earn some extra income, but actually getting paid can take months. That's where Payfully comes in. Payfully is a safe and secure way to get paid for your upcoming reservations within 24 hours of them being booked. Payfully deposits directly into your bank account with funds usually available the same day. 
It works with all the major platforms, Airbnb, VRBO, HomeAway, and others, and they've helped thousands of hosts expand their business or cover unexpected expenses. Visit payfully.co, that's P-A-Y-F-U-L-L-Y dot C-O, for $20 off your first request with code Newberry. That's payfully.co, promo code Newberry, N-E-W-B-E-R-Y. Race Car Radio is proud to support the work of IO Worldwide, a tenacious and dedicated organization working to address the root causes of poverty in West Africa. Because they believe that who a person is and where they come from should not solely determine what they are able to achieve. To learn about their work and how you can support it, please visit ayaworldwide.org. And now we return to our conversation about Julie of the Wolves. So you talk about um, whenever you do any kind of media studies exploration, you always talk about like how is the work a reflection of the time that it is created, whether um, overtly or just sort of uh, not subvertly, <laughs> overtly or in invertly, I guess, <laughs> sure. inadvertently. Can you be just whelmed? Um, but anyway, this book, the just the, the politics of the American Indian Bureau and like how this community is treated by the government, how this community is dealing with uh, alcoholism, how they sort of traditionally, I, I, I sort of, I know that term is problematic, so I'm putting it in quotes, traditionally um, lived in this area and how the <laughs> gentrification, for lack of a better word, of their community has totally destroyed the way of life that they knew and I this I think this book did a really nice job of just existing in that world Mm. rather than like teaching us about the world yeah well I mean this this book was written by Jean George after a trip she took to Alaska and after she spent some time in there was some sort of like a research facility there that they were actually trying to learn about like the behavior of wolves and they were trying to learn like all of these things and you know her own experiences you can tell are just so nicely outlined in this text like it does it feels so real because it is so real and you know that every detail in there is yes it's like made up in the sense that she's writing a story but you know I don't think she nonchalantly added in alcoholism of the Eskimos to this text you you get the impression that obviously was something that happened or that uh, an issue that she was made aware of while she was there and I, it helps to make it feel very grounded and also um Julie or, or my ex isn't an immigrant per se but because the place that she lives has become a place where people are relocating to with such um fervor Mm -hmm. she has become she she it is in a way very akin to an immigrant story where um you have the traditions of your family and you're trying to or trying not to assimilate into this culture um that is more popular or more accessible or more desirable than the one that you grew up in and i thought that was so such a turn on the way that we normally hear that story she has both conversations with herself because she talks about going and living in town and being the person there that is teaching the new people and like and in keeping alive these ways of life that that are a part of her culture and her heritage and then she at the same time will go 
uh, on the other side and say like, no, I'm actually just going to live out by myself and be true to myself and only myself. And if anyone, everyone else wants to assimilate and become Americanized and do whatever they want to do, then they're more than welcome to. And I'm going to have my own bit. And she kind of goes back and forth a couple of times trying to debate like which is the more appropriate way to like celebrate her heritage is to share it with people or just to like sit in it, which I thought was a really good question. Yeah, I... I think it seems like she's going with the one that gets her the kind of life she wants to be living because there's certainly things that are probably more comfortable about a life with electricity, <laughs> you know, than the life that um, she's been living currently, like on the tundra, um, having to, uh, you know, get over being lost and, and making friends and, and finding food. and um, But... Uh, but there was this one moment where uh, I was like, oh, no, when she's uh, when she early on in her getting lost and she for the first time looks at herself in a in the river, um, which she calls like the Arctic mirror. <laughs> and um, she sees the hollows of her cheeks and she was pleased for she looked almost like the Gusak. Is that how we're saying it? Mm-hmm. Um, so she uses the word uh, Gusak to describe uh, a I guess Americans, for lack of a better word, anglicized um, Mm -hmm. um, populations, anglicized people. Um, So she says um, she saw the hollows of her cheeks. She was pleased for she looked almost like the Gusak girls in the magazines and movies, thin and gaunt, not moon faced like an Eskimo. And I was like, oh, no, even even here in Alaska, we've like this fairly isolated community has been permeated by this disgusting (laughs) It's everywhere. Sense you can't you escape it. <laughs> Impossible ideals of beauty, everyone. They're everywhere. <laughs> oh, so upsetting. Should we talk? I don't. I don't know if we need to discuss it, but I would. I. I thought it was very. When it comes to the scene of sexual assault, yeah, which basically is rape. Yeah. Uh, it's attempted. It's certainly an attempted rape. It it is. I think I had to read it like three times, and yeah. I felt a little pervy for he just reading doesn't, it that many times in a row. No, it isn't. He just doesn't know how to do it. If he knew what to do, it would be a, it would be a rape. But he doesn't know what to do. See, I disagree. I think there's a time hop hidden in this passage. Oh yeah. Because he says his lips curled back and his tongue touched her mouth, crushing her with his body. He twisted her down on the floor. He was as frightened as she. And then there's a paragraph break, and it says the room spun and grew blurry. Daniel cursed, kicked violently, and lay still, which to me implicated that he did it, that that he completed his transaction there, and that there, and she had this sort of like blurry moment of uh, distance that I think a lot of like rape victims will attest to, this Mm -hmm. sort of like um, disembodiment with what the the act is is uh while it's occurring that i don't know i kind of could read it both ways and i just thought uh i think i give too little credit to young adult novels sometimes for not dealing with these really true and and genuine themes that are things that they'll have to deal with eventually because you know go out and tell like soccer mom usa like i'm gonna give your 13 year old daughter this book and by the way it has a rape scene like they'd yeah. never let them read it yeah. but this it's dealt with very uh openly and 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 it definitely has a reason to be there and you when you hear a story about oh it's about a, um a young woman that sort of is 
has run away and is going off on her own the first thing you're going to think of is oh no she's going to get attacked on the way but in reality she was far less safe when she was in a civilization like when she was with people like when she was with her husband she was far less safe than any time thereafter going back to our cover copy mine just says when the village is no longer safe for her and yours said something different in in regards to why she ran away she rebels against a home situation she finds intolerable yeah which that one i think your copy i think does more to address the sort of real depth of the situation because calling rape or attempted rape intolerable is like houston we have a problem like the biggest <laughs> understatement of versus the no longer safe for her yeah it's yeah jump into the illusion of life the rating system and then the title is yours really oh yours is late mine's early this is gonna be so exciting oh i'm excited we haven't read our illusions of life to each other but uh, i'm so excited to hear yours carrie (laughs) so um the illusion of life of course is um young adult novels or, or children's novels tend to have a perspective through which one perceives the world or how one sees life um and so we've um donned deemed we've Mm. we've christened this section the uh, illusion of life uh, because they're often a metaphor or an illusion or you get it you get everyone gets it right so we do (laughs) thanks everyone so uh carolyn do you want to start with uh your illusion oh sure i mean technically we should start with yours because it comes earlier oh yeah so i thought that was really interesting that like on my in my edition it's page 13 and i was like whoa this is it Mine um, is page 13 with a zero after it. 130! <laughs> this is 10 times as good as mine. <laughs> Shit. Um, and this is a very pessimistic illusion. You're going to think I'm insane. But because she spends so much of the... I, it was pretty clear early on that the book was going to be a fight um, and a negotiation the entire time. Like, I didn't think, oh, she's going to get to San Francisco on page... 40 you know and that it's gonna be her new life there like it was clear that we were gonna be here for a minute that i thought that this was a really <laughs> sort of embarrassed now than it anyway um so we're talking about lemmings mm-hmm. <laughs> lemmings um so uh just to set it up um my ex's teacher had said that lemmings had a chemical similar to antifreeze in their blood that kept them active all winter when all little mammals were hibernating So that's the setup. Um, And then this is from Mrs. Franklin, the teacher. They eat grass and multiply all winter, Mrs. Franklin had said in her sing-song voice. When there are too many, they grow nervous at the sight of each other. Somehow this shoots too much antifreeze into their bloodstreams and begins to poison them. They become restless, then crazy, then run in a frenzy until they die. And there was... (laughs) (laughs) It's embarrassing now that I'm reading it out loud, but... It's not true. (laughs) But also, it but it seemed to correlate to how my ex or Julie viewed society and civilization. Mm. If there's just too many people around, sort of bad decisions started happening, and like, um, and the rest of the world, the way that um, people started interacting with the world was less good for the world and more good for the people. So it, 
it felt like it still resonated when I finished, but I did mark it the first time through. I see that. And I, I think that's interesting. Your illusion is her view of the outside world. Yeah. And my so. illusion is her view of her internal world. Cool. So we each have a little outside inside, a little outside inside, a little contradictory, you know, illusions here. <laughs> Um, so mine comes a little bit later and we, we briefly talked about how, uh, she kind of has this, this worldview and this sort of back and forth about if she wants to live out on her own or out or in a town, you know, amongst other people. Um, so the one that I have goes like this. She liked the simplicity of that world. It was easy to understand. Out here, she understood how she fitted into the scheme of the moon and stars and the constant rise and fall of life on the earth. Even the snow was part of her. She melted it and drank it. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I like the, because the, the snow, yeah. That it's this thing that covers her and then is in her and then. Because, you know, it's going, going Back to it, you know, it's it's a difficult lifestyle for me to ever understand willingly putting myself into. Yeah. And I think that this sort of sums it up in a way that, like, I get it. I, I obviously don't get it in the sense that I'm going to go out and live in the Arctic wilderness starting tomorrow. But I get it. I understand the draw to be in a simpler place and just to live just off of what you need to live. And I think it's really beautiful. Cool. Um, so we want to talk about the title for a second. Do you think... Good title? Bad title? Um, it's a pretty just yeah. accurate title, <laughs> you know? Yeah. What it does do is it shows her two worlds, because that's her Gusak, or American name, Julie. Mm-hmm. And then Of the Wolves is sort of the life that she's um, accrued mm-hmm. over this past year. So I guess it does that nicely. But yeah, it did feel a little on the nose to me. <laughs> a little, yeah. A little bite on the nose to show your authority. <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, so now we can come to our favorite portion of the of the podcast, our ratings. Oh. So what do you give Julie of the Wolves? I'm going to give it one handmade with love bird jacket. The highest rating that you can give. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to give it 13 lemmings jumping straight off a cliff. <laughs> So that's, I think, all there is to say definitively about this book. That's it. Don't let anyone ever convince you there's more to say about it. No more conversations to be had. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Join the conversation and tell us what you thought about the book at facebook.com slash Newberry Report. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y Report. The Newberry Report is hosted and recorded by me, Carrie Caston, and my co-host is Carolyn Burns. It was co-produced and edited by David Hoffman. It's a production of Race Car Radio. If you're not already subscribed to our show, you can do so on iTunes or Google Play or head to www.racecarradio.com. Race Car Radio is a division of Citizen Race Car. We tell stories.